Hello, everybody, and welcome to the January 13th, 2021 edition of Peaceful Globalist Review. I'm your host, the Peaceful Globalist, Ephraim Josine. And ladies and gentlemen, I am wearing a coat today for absolutely no reason. I just wanted to, and you can't stop me. Uh, anyway, Senator Josh Hawley, um, an absolute favorite target of mine, published an op-ed, or I guess they say it's a guest column, in a newspaper called The Southeast Missourian. This week, and by this week, I mean it was just published today. I'm starting to think, you guys ever see the movie Pants on Fire? It was a Disney XD original film, which is how you know it was good, where the kid who played Gabe from Good Luck Charlie had this power where anytime he lied, and he lied a lot, it would automatically become true. And he lied about some really weird things. I think Josh Hawley thinks he has that power. But mind you, I don't know how much I got right there. That's just my memory from seeing the commercials when it aired on Disney XD like 10 years ago. I think Josh Hawley thinks he has this power. He doesn't. Here is what Senator Hawley wrote. Last week, I objected during the joint... Se I, sh I should probably read the headline, by the way. A guest column, Senator Hawley responds to critics, why I objected. Last week, I objected during the joint session count of electoral votes in order to have a debate on the issue of election integrity. My objections proceeded according to the letter of the statute, which specifically permits for objection and debate and follows the tradition of Congress. In fact, dozens of Democratic members of Congress have lost objections precisely the same form over the past three decades. To be specific, Democrats objected after the election of 2000, 2004, and 2016. I hate to inform you, Senator, but those are only two decades. And by the way, I should note that those were under very different circumstances. In 2000, it was because of various conflicts of interest regarding the state of Florida, most notably the fact that George W. Bush's brother Jeb was governor, Catherine Harris, Secretary of State, was involved in his election campaign. And the Supreme Court determined that Bush won was made up of people primarily appointed by Ronald Reagan, whose vice president was Bush's daddy, and for that matter, George Bush Sr. himself. 2004, there were similar controversies regarding the Secretary of State in the state of Ohio being on Bush's re-election campaign, as well as these voting machines and people later getting convicted of vote tampering. In 2016, there was the whole Russia question. I should note, under all three of these circumstances, there had not been nearly the same level of investigation as there had been in 2020. 2000 was really the only one that had any major court cases. And, by the way, we've had over 60 court cases in 2020, and not a single piece of evidence of voter fraud. Or at the very least, of any voter fraud that would change the election. And that's also ignoring the fact that in 2000, the margins were a lot closer. Just want to point that out. In other words, every time a Republican has won the White House in the last 30 years, and they were within their rights to do so, the joint session is a forum where concerns about an election can be raised, debated, and ultimately resolved with a vote. The difference between those past instances and this year, however, is striking. In the past, when Democrats objected, they were praised for standing up for democracy. 
In 2005, when Democrats objected to counting Ohio's electoral votes, which, by the way, again, there, there were people convicted of vote tampering in those, Nancy Pelosi praised the objection, saying, quote, this debate is fundamental to our democracy, and, quote, we are witnessing democracy at work. Um, okay, yeah. That is, I, again, those were under very different circumstances. And that's my main issue with Holly's claim here. They're without any form of context. Yeah, people have objected in the past, but why were they objecting? It's the same thing that we saw during the Capitol Hill storming. You know, there are all these Republicans who said, I thought that riots were the language of the unheard, which is an MLK quote. Okay, what did you want us to hear exactly? Why weren't you heard in the first place? You can't just go around mindlessly saying, well, they did a very similar procedure. Yeah, why did they do it, though? You know, this is like if I get arrested for stabbing someone in the chest, and then I say, oh, so I can't um, lower a knife and stab a human heart, but you can lower a knife and stab a cake. Yeah. Yeah. Those are very, very different circumstances. <laughs> This time around, anyone who objected has been called an insurrectionist. Actually, that was primarily a result of the insurrection that occurred. There was no insurrection in 2000, or 2004, or 2016. That never happened. Sadly, much of the media and many members of the Washington establishment want to deceive Americans into thinking those who raised concerns incited violence simply by voicing the concerns. Okay, what, what are your concerns exactly? And you hear this a lot. Ted Cruz was talking about this in why he originally objected before the insurrection took place. He talked about how 60% of people think the election, or no, 40% of people think the election is illegitimate. They have concerns. Okay, what are your concerns? Because they've likely been addressed in the over 60 court cases we've had. <laughs> you just can't make this up. You just can't. You know, no, this reminds me, uh, in one of Sean's videos, if you know who Sean is, he's a left-wing YouTuber, and he was talking about um, the trolley problem. And he says, now imagine instead... There's the trolley that's going on the track, and on that track is a person who would die if they are hit, and you think you're going to switch it, but then someone comes up to you and says, listen, I have some very valid concerns about changing the track this trolley is going on. So while I do understand what you are saying, at the same time, I feel like we need to debate these concerns for a very long period of time beforehand, and while you're talking, the trolley ran over the man. Congratulations. <laughs> That's all I can think of here. Um, let's see. That's false, and the allegation itself is corrosive and dangerous. Let me say again, as I have said before, the lawless violence, as opposed to what? Lawful violence? At the Capitol last week was criminal. There can be no quibbling about that. 
Those who engage in it should be prosecuted and punished. Lawless violence undermines the democratic process by which we settle our disputes and threaten our democratic life. That applies to mobs of any and all political persuasion. Mob violence is always wrong. But the democratic debate is not mob violence. It is, in fact, how we avoid mob violence. No, no, not necessarily. What if the democratic debate is over how we are going to use mob violence? That doesn't seem like it's preventing it. I know, I know, it's not what he's talking about. At least that's not what he thinks he's talking about. But at the same time, just worth throwing out there that it's not an obvious statement like Holly treats it as. Our system of government is the envy of the world. Not really, no. In part because it contains mechanisms to give Americans of different views a voice. Actually, in terms of global democracy, we rank near the bottom of all representative republics. Whoops. Without resort to threat or violence or unrest of any kind, debate on the floor of Congress, like the debate that is provided for during the continuing of electoral votes, is one of these. It is a forum for registering disagreement, airing different views, and resolving these differences peacefully. Actually, it's more just a place for grandstanding, truth be told. Um, I've said in the past that the process of congressional debate is essentially pointless now. I stand by that. Has anyone ever been convinced to change their vote on a bill because of congressional debate? I've never seen it. Have you ever seen it? Probably not. No, most politicians know how they're going to vote the second the bill is introduced. Okay, it's just a place for grandstanding, more or less. This is our proud tradition in, as Americans. Many, many citizens in, this, in Missouri have deep concerns about election integrity. Okay, what are those concerns and are they legitimate? I don't care how many citizens have concerns. Going back to Ted Cruz's quote I mentioned earlier, I don't care if 40% of people care, think the election is rigged. I don't care if 90% of people think the election was rigged. Either you provide evidence of that, or we should not act on it. I don't care how many people think one thing. The fact is, and I'm about to say something really controversial. This is the most controversial thing I can say on air, people. Some things are true, okay? You following me? And when something is true, the opposite of it is almost always false. Okay? Do we understand this? I don't care about what these factual relativists have to say. I care about the facts. Was it rigged? Yes or no? If it was, I'll join you. If it's not, and we have evidence it's not, then shut up. I don't care about how many people are wrong, is my point. For months, I heard from these Missourians writing, calling my office, stopping me to talk. They want Congress to take action to see that our elections are every level at every level, are free, fair, and secure. By the way, Congress does not have the constitutional authority to do that. They have a right to be heard in Congress, and as a representative, it is my duty to speak on their behalf, says the man whose main selling point is a highly unpopular tech policy. 
That is just what I did last week. As to my specific objections, I objected with regards to Pennsylvania because the state failed to follow its own constitution. The Pennsylvania Constitution has been interpreted by the state's courts for over a century to prohibit mail-in voting, except in clearly stated circumstances, but last year, Pennsylvania politicians adopted universal mail-in voting anyway. Well, that's because it was determined that this was a very specific circumstance that the Pennsylvania Constitution did not have, did not take into consideration when it was written. To make matters worse, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court then changed the rules for when mail-in ballots could be returned. Yes, but that's a little misleading. The ballot still had to be dated election day or before. And when Pennsylvania citizens tried to go to court and object, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court threw out the case on procedural grounds. Oh, no. In violation of its own precedent. So procedures just don't matter in Pennsylvania courts? To this day, no court has found the mail-in voting scheme to be constitutional or even heard the merits of the case. But wait, wait, wait. If they haven't heard the case, and they also haven't ruled it to be unconstitutional either. That's a little misleading right there. I also objected to point out the unprecedented interference of big tech corporations in the election in favor of the Biden campaign, not just in Pennsylvania, but everywhere. Well, do you really know what unprecedented means? Unprecedented just means it hasn't happened before. So I'll give Josh Hawley this, that it was the unprecedented interference of big tech corporations. What does he mean by interference, by the way, um, that favored the Biden campaign? So if it was precedented, that would be fine then. That's why you included the word unprecedented in there, isn't it? It's a little sleight of hand that I can't help but notice. But as for this idea that it was unprecedented interference by big tech corporations, first off, and we've read the studies on the show, most Facebook and Twitter news that get spread around, well, we don't know Twitter right now, but for a long time, definitely up until the election, up until the 6th, was conservative. We've read that out tons of times on this podcast. So that's just completely nonsensical. And again, what does he mean by interference? Their interference in our democratic process has only accelerated in recent days. Wow, it's like when you storm the Capitol, people suddenly stop caring. Some wondered why I stuck with my objection to following the violence of the Capitol. Because you agreed with them. There's nothing to wonder there. We have the photo of you fist-pumping them, for God's sake. <laughs> you guys see that photo of Josh Holly just before the storm started? Fist-pumping? In solidarity with them? He stuck his objection because he fundamentally agreed with it. The reason is simple. I will not bow to a lawless mob or allow criminals to drown out the legitimate concerns of my constituents. How did that go? I think I once heard this comparison, okay? Imagine during Barack Obama's administration, you know, the Ku Klux Klan goes to protest him just one day in Washington. That is not the best day to go over there and with your totally reasonable policy concerns, protest yourself just to say, I'm not like them all the time. 
you're doing you're doing the South Park thing. You know the episode where um, Mr. Garrison's puppet is in the Ku Klux Klan, and he has to spend the entire episode saying, "I'm not with him. It's just my puppet who's a member." Yeah, yeah, that's kind of a distinction without a difference. Truth be told, in that circumstance, um, you still, you still gave them a voice. You still fundamentally agreed with them. You still looked at the reason they were there and said, you guys are totally correct. Or even if you're not, it doesn't matter because there are so many concerns. That Ted Cruz speech I referenced, that was just before the Capitol was stormed. Like, I swear to God, within three hours. They heard that and thought, they care about our concerns. Let's storm the Capitol. Because no politician has the guts right now to actually say something is factually incorrect. They won't do that. They want factual relativism. Make no mistake. I am proud to represent you in Congress. Really loud fart noise. NP3. Your voice helps make this country and our democracy strong. These are difficult days for our country. All I can promise you is that I will do my best in and in, day in and day out to represent your voice, no matter who criticizes me. Can you represent the facts above all else? And I will do my utmost to preserve, protect, and defend this republic, or defend this republic that we call home. Yay! Um, to end with, I think I am going to yield my time to a certain, well, so, um, Southeast Missourian. <laughs> because this article has a comment feed. And let me just say, it is absolutely beautiful. I'm going to read you a few of my favorite comments. Here's one from Scrappy64. This is not a partisan issue. You either believe in not spreading lies and disinformation, or you don't. You either believe in the Constitution, or you don't. Cherry-picking the parts you want to uphold is not an option. There is a reason that Holly is losing his financial backing. There is a reason that Senator Danforth is shamed by Holly's actions. Lying about the validity of our election process to further his own ambitions is not patriotic. Holly in his skinny suit and his upraised fiat is burned into history. Oh, God. Oh, God. Scrappy64, you are the best person in Southeast Missouri. I just want you to know that. Um, not only, it, it was so good that a guy named Dennis Rigdon had to reply with this. Agree! Holly is a lawyer who knows 90 plus judges in at least 60 cases brought against the have not only been decided against the false conspiracy and insurrection proponents, but also were tossed out of the courts with no evidence of fraud presented by anyone advocating for anti-democracy insurrection. Holly has pushed and pushed these false conspiracy theories and thus given fuel to the insurrectionists who want to refight the Civil War. They're very open about that, by the way. Liberty Hangout said that all the time. Holly needs to be gone forever. Um, PCH Loser says, 
Senator Holly, I signed a change.org petition to have you removed from being a Missouri senator. I donated to change.org to help get the word out as much as possible. When you write, many, many citizens in Missouri have deep concerns about elected blah, 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 blah. I have to laugh. I do not believe that many, many Missourians even imagined we might not have a fair election in this country until you and our president told them so, erroneously and for personal gain only. You have formed distrust and unrest in this country, and you saw the results of that last Wednesday. And still, you doubled down on falsely representing your constituents. You don't represent me, Mr. Holly, nor many, many other Missourians who have any sense at all. You need to go, Josh. You know, for a populist, Senator Holly sure seems very, very unpopular. Uh, boo! Posts. I hope and pray that we can make Holly disappear like Trump. It will be a glorious day when the Democrats take control of the Senate. I hope the vote will, I hope the will vote to censor and if all possible, remove Holly and Cruz. They, like Benedict Arnold, are just another stain on history. Jeez. And Q, not sorry in three, two, one, go buddy, go. You know, I thought I was being too harsh on Josh Holly for a while now. Um, and let me just say, I apparently was nicer to him than the people he talks nonstop that he represents. I just love this. Brighter Days says... During the American Civil War, senators and representatives who openly supported the Confederates were removed from their seats. Josh Hawley and Jason Smith and the rest need to be removed. Hot-pilled. That's all I'm gonna say. I would not mind to watch on C-SPAN the Capitol Police dragging them kicking and screaming out of the Capitol building. That would be must-see television. Bass the popcorn. Holy Grab! Oh my god! Oh my god! You just... Wow! Oh my god! This is what the citizens of Southeast Missouri, and by you, the rest of the columns on this newspaper, are from, like, Thomas Sowell and the likes. This isn't a left-wing group. This isn't Antifa. They hate this guy. Wow. Oh, holy crap. That's the only thing I can respond with. This man is going to be the leader of the Republican Party, according to a lot of people. And he can't even stop his own base for wanting to kick him out of the Senate, kicking and screaming. At least Joe McCarthy had the support of Wisconsin, is all I'm saying. There are things in Wisconsin named after Joe McCarthy. There's like a train station in Wisconsin is named after Joseph McCarthy. You think anything's going to be named after Josh Hawley? Maybe a sewage pipe. Maybe a sewage pipe. Who knows? The sky's the limit for someone like him, after all. <laughs> I just love this so much.
Anyway, here's a story I am currently kicking myself for not starting the coverage of yesterday, but I'm also happy I waited because there's been a development. From Sarah Cook on Twitter, Representative Schindler becomes the third member of Congress to test positive for COVID-19 following the lockdown during the Capitol assault. Like Representatives Jay Powell and Representative Bonnie, he attributes his exposure to several House Republicans who refuse to wear masks while huddling in secure locations. Yes, as of right now, three Democratic members of Congress have COVID-19 because during the Capitol Hill raid, they all just stay really close together, and a number of Republicans did not wear masks. They, they wore masks on the House floor, by the way. So it's not like they have a breathing issue or they have some mental illness that would make doing so unnecessarily hard, in which case I could excuse it. I think you're being a little selfish, but I can understand. You know, some people with PTSD could have trauma attacks if they got it through some way where they were crushed, I guess would be the best way to put it. There are people with autism who could experience sensory overload, tons of other things. None of them, to my knowledge, fell into that category. Now, all three of these people are Democrats. In fact, Representative Jaypal, or Jayapal, I may be pronouncing her name wrong, is actually the chair of the Progressive Caucus in the House of Representatives. And Representative Bonnie is a very old black woman. Or Bonnie Watson is technically representative. Representative Bonnie Watson Coleman, I'll just call Representative Coleman, uh, Representative Coleman is a 75-year-old black woman who just recovered a few years ago from a cancerous tumor she had in, it might have actually been her brain, I'm going to check this real quick. Okay, it doesn't say where the cancerous tumor was, just that it was somewhere and it was in the summer of 2018. So, these are important people within the Democratic Party, as well as old people, and might I remind you, minorities, especially African Americans, are at more risk than the white population. Now, mind you, that's mostly because they're often poorer on average, and if you're poor, you can't really get medical treatment, you know, and they live in urban areas, so it's hard to socially distance and all that. I don't know if those factors would apply to Representative Coleman, but at the same time, it is at least worth taking into account. Uh, so now three congressmen, or congress, well, two congresswomen, one congressman, three congresspeople have COVID-19 because when some hardcore Trumpers stormed the Capitol and the entire Congress was forced into lockdown, a bunch of Republicans did not wear masks. So no matter what, no matter what, you can blame at least one aspect on this of this, if not both, on a lot of the Republican Party. But on the other hand, a two-year-old wasn't allowed on a flight, so I guess that's the bigger story here. I guess that's the bigger story. A two-year-old wasn't allowed on a flight. I know, I know, I'm still on that... And that was, like, a month ago. How long ago was that? I'm actually going to check. That was... Wait, okay, that was, that was mid-December. 
Yeah, it was a month ago. Um, <laughs> but I can't get over that. I really can't. Oh, well, they won't let my two-year-old daughter on a plane. They won't let me drag her around like she's my show dog all across the country when she doesn't even have object permanence yet because she wouldn't wear them. And they won't let her sit in a metal tube for six hours so we can take her to a place she's never even heard of that she'll have no memory of in like a week. Has no idea what's going on. They won't let us do that because she won't wear our mask. Yeah, yeah, you guys suck. I just want you to know that you guys totally suck. <laughs> Maybe the mask policy was wrong. I won't deny that. You can make that argument. You guys still suck, though. <laughs> you do. Um, but, but enough on my absolute despise. My absolute hatred of mask martyrs. This is actually what that leads to in the real world, is members of Congress getting COVID-19. And you know what? I'm, to be truth be told, I'm not convinced this wasn't on purpose. I don't want to go there, but I imagine at least someone had thought of it at some point. Now, I don't have evidence to back that up. That's just me shooting from the hip a little. And you know what? Don't go around citing. Efron said it was the Republicans intentionally did it so they couldn't vote for impeachment. No, I, I, I don't believe that. Believe it's possible. Don't really believe it's what happened. I just believe that they were being idiotic while also playing with people's lives because they just didn't give a shit. And, you know, that is the real issue at hand here. If these people don't even care about the lives of people they know, of people who they spend time with, who they know personally, how do you expect them to care about you? How do you expect them to care about you when they're voting on a bill that affects the entire country? They don't even care about people they work with. You really think they care about you? Um, so this was quite possibly the most telling moment. This week's been filled with telling moments explaining exactly what the Republican Party is between them possibly going extinct because they aren't getting corporate donations anymore to them not even caring about their own colleagues in Congress enough to wear a mask temporarily because the basic idea is that they shouldn't have to. My abstract philosophy says that I shouldn't have to. Yeah, that, that's great and all. I don't care. I don't care. And philosophical supremacy is going to be the death of us. I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. Philosophical supremacy is going to be the death of this nation. Now, three congressmen, three congresspeople have COVID-19. I know I'm just repeating the premise of the story at this point, but I feel like it needs to be mentioned because when a bunch of Republicans stormed the Capitol building and forced every single member of Congress into lockdown, a number of those congressmen who were forced into lockdown, who had the same political party as the people who just stormed the Capitol, did not wear any masks. Some of them want to make it harder for you to wear one. Remember Ron DeSanchez in Florida, 
has passed, has signed into law executive orders that specifically make it so local communities can't enforce mask mandates. They don't have any right to govern themselves, according to Ron DeSanchez. This is what the Republican Party is. It's a party of philosophical supremacy, factual relativism, and corporate donations. That's what it comes down to, and they don't care who gets hurt in the process. This only happened because after the Republicans embraced factual relativism, they also embraced philosophical supremacy, both of which are twin cancers killing our civilization. They are, ki they are killing us. They are going to kill us if we are not careful, if we do not have a coordinated movement to stop this. And it just seems like that's not what we're getting. You know, we're getting, oh, okay, man. Listen, man. They have concerns. I have concerns about their philosophical supremacy and factual relativism. Can I address those? Or do I have to wait until they're done spouting off their nonsense? Just can't make this up. Just really can't. I know I keep saying that, but it's true. You can't make this up. Anyway, last story for tonight, and this happened after I started recording, by the way. Donald J. Trump, yes, THE Donald J. Trump, has officially been impeached. For the second time now, for the second time, he is the first president to be impeached twice. He is the third president to be impeached in the first place. And for that matter, we have doubled the amount of impeachments we have had because of Donald Trump. Now, I know a few people were saying, oh, but doesn't that make the impeachment mean less? You know, unlike before, where it was just something you could theoretically do, but not something we ever actually did, that was when it was really meaningful. When it was nothing but an empty threat. No, if anything, we are making it more meaningful by using it more frequently. And by the way, whenever um, impeachment is brought up, like making it easier or getting people involved or something like that, the first argument is always, well, then every president would be impeached. Okay. And? <laughs> then we'd have an impeachment inquiry into every president. We should. We bluntly should. We should know 24-7 if the president has done an impeachable offense. The point of an inquiry is to gather evidence of that. Um, but, and, and mind you, anyone making this argument, I remember I saw Carl Rove on Fox yesterday, I may have talked about this on yesterday's show, say that, or no, it was the day before yesterday, uh, say that actually this would create a precedent. <laughs> You mean if we hold Trump accountable, we'll have to hold more people accountable? Oh, no, we can't have that. We cannot allow that. That's always the argument is, well, and for that matter, isn't, aren't there people in government that should be held accountable? Wasn't that the argument about James Comey and, Andrew K and Andy McCobb and all the people the Trumpers absolutely hate? Uh, Tony Podesta is another one. So they should all be held accountable. And we can't hold anyone else accountable until we hold them accountable. Doesn't even matter if they plead guilty like Michael Flynn did. He was set up, actually. Barack Obama dressed up as him. 
and pleaded guilty under that pretense. But anyway, or they didn't tell him what he was being, what he was pleading guilty to. He thought he was pleading guilty to loving kittens this entire time. Anyway, here's the article from Mediaite. Breaking! House votes 232 to 197 to impeach Trump for incitement of insurrection. House representatives on Wednesday voted to impeach President Donald Trump for the second time of his presidency. The impeachment resolution, which charged the president with incitement of insurrection, said the president had incited supporters on the January 6th rally in Washington, D.C. Members of the crowd he had addressed unlawfully breached and vandalized the Capitol, injured and killed law enforcement personnel, menaced members of Congress, the vice president, and congressional personnel, and engaged in other violent, deadly, destructive, and seditious acts, the resolution noted. Find me a single incorrect thing said there. Just one. The measure passed by a vote of 232 to 197, with 10 Republicans joining 222 House Democrats voting in favor. And the most high-profile of those is um, the third in command. I believe it would be the House... And, well, no, it wouldn't be House Minority Whip. Because the Whip's second in command. And I think the Whip is Scalise. No, no, her official name, but she's the third in command. It's Liz Cheney. Uh, the daughter of former Vice President Dick Cheney. Not the lesbian, by the way. Not a lesbian. Not the lesbian. The lesbian is the other one. Yeah, Dick Cheney has two daughters. You didn't know that? I didn't until I looked it up. God, imagine being in that scenario, though. But that's a different topic in time. I don't mean... and Just imagine being the daughter of Dick Cheney. One of the most hated men in U.S. history. <laughs> one of the most hated vice presidents in U.S. history. Like, I think people hate him more than they hate John C. Calhoun. Just, wow. Four Republicans, Dan Crenshaw, Chip Roy, Nancy Mace, and John Curtis abstained. And to be honest, that's, absolute, that's actually more cowardly in my mind. And isn't Dan Crenshaw supposed to be, like, this big thought leader of the Republican Party? He was in Pines 2019 Top 100 because of that. And he can't even vote on impeachment. Congratulations, Dan. Much thought, much leadership. The measure drew slightly more support than the 2019 effort to impeach Trump when 229 members voted to impeach him. Um, on the charge that he had obstructed the congressional investigation to Russian interference in the 2016 election, and 230 members voted to impeach him on a charge that he had abused his power. Uh, Trump is the third president in history to be impeached by the House after Andrew Johnson in 1868 and Bill Clinton in 1998. But remember, guys, remember, we're making it meaningless by actually using it. <laughs> it's now more meaningless. Than it was when we actually use it, than it was when it was an empty threat that no one even threatened. And the first to be impeached twice, the Senate voted in favor of acquittal each time. I believe Johnson only was acquitted because of one vote, by the way. Ain't history something. It isn't clear Democrats have enough votes to succeed in their latest attempt to impeach the president. The party will hold 50 of the Senate's 100 seats once Georgia certifies the results of its two January 5th runoffs, which is expected to happen no later than January 22nd. At that point, Democrats will need at least 17 Republicans to join them in order to meet their 67-vote threshold the Constitution requires for convicting a president. 
And I'm just going to be blunt and say that's probably not happening. Like, you could only get 10 in a chamber of over 200, yet you have no chance. I'm sorry, you have no chance to get 34% of those Republicans to vote in favor of conviction. Unless you put, like, massive political pressure on them. Like, there needs to be a much broader campaign of demoralization, which that's what's happened with Nixon, by the way. There was a very long campaign of demoralization. At the start, he was just an average law and order Republican. But as time went on, his supporters got more and more demoralized and just couldn't take it anymore. You know, Trump supporters take it as a point of pride that he was so hated because he was always hated. Meanwhile, Nixon supporters just wanted stability and peace, and that's not what Nixon gave us. As of Wednesday, okay, did I already read? No, I didn't read that. As of Wednesday, four Republican senators have said Trump's actions warrant his removal from office, though none have committed a voting for a specific resolution passed by the House. They include Mitt Romney, of course they include Mitt Romney, Lisa Merzinski, Pat Toomey, and Ben Sass. Ben Sass, by the way, has, I swear to God, the definition of a shit-eating grin. Complicating the issue is the fact that the Senate will not consider the matter until Trump has left office. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell ain't gonna be in the majority for long, Mitchie boy! Indicated this week that while he is still making a decision about whether to support the president's impeachment, he would not call the Senate back to Washington before January 19th, a day before President-elect Joe Biden inaugurated as Trump's successor. This means the Senate will not take up the issue before 1 p.m. on January 20th, just an hour after Biden is scheduled to become president. Wow. Wow. Um, but no, truth be told, my main support for impeachment just comes from the fact that I do believe it is good to have it in mainstream consciousness as much as possible, especially when you have legitimate evidence of him committing wrongdoing. Um, these need to be, impeachment does need to be normalized and commonplace within politics, if only because we actually do need to hold these people accountable for once, but we can't do that because it's just too hard. A little too hard, I guess. Um, but no, no, you can't. Yeah, you can't actually do that. Can't actively change the course of history. You have to just sit there and say, "Sorry, it's a little hard." Democrats are squishy sometimes. You know that. Anyway, that's our show, and good night.